Welcome to Zoom with Zarni. Uh, my name is Justin Zarni, and thank you for coming back with us. Uh, this is our weekly discussion on election issues as well as races here in Onondaga County. This is a partnership with the United Democrats of Onondaga County, and uh, we are doing this because of the crisis that we are all in, uh, this COVID crisis that has made traditional campaigning and uh, getting the word out about uh, election issues uh, hard, so we decided to start this weekly chat. We are in the midst of uh, the election season, so sometimes we do these as town halls with candidates, and sometimes we do these as uh, uh, guests with election experts. And I'm very happy to have on uh, today's guest coming up a little bit later, Sean Morales Doyle, who is the deputy director of uh, the Voting Rights uh, Project over at the Brennan Center. Uh, and uh, he's going to talk to us about uh, their work down in Florida with uh, the felon disenfranchisement uh, uh, work down there, as well as uh, what Brennan Center felt about the, the, the primary uh, and, and how New York can do a little bit better there. And then of course, I'm sure we'll have a little room to talk about a couple of tweets that the president made today about uh, postponing elections and only counting votes for election night. And we'll talk about why that that is probably never going to happen, and uh, and how um, you know, and how we can make sure that that uh, is uh, you know that the election's going forward. But few things going on here in Onondaga County. The Onondaga County Board of Elections has undergone and started uh, poll worker training. So if you are interested in becoming a poll worker, go to our website onvote.net. You can sign up and get into a class train and be part of either early voting or election day voting. Uh, we are doing, uh, a, it is a long day, it's 5 a.m. to uh, 10 p.m. on election day. However, we are doing a pilot program. We are doing some half day uh, slots uh, for those who don't want to work the full day. So if you're interested in that, get trained. Uh, and uh, if you've done it in the past and you want to come back, that'd be great as well. Or if you're brand new, uh, we have all kinds of training options for you going on through August into September and, and early October. But uh, don't wait because these classes are signing up fast. We're getting a lot of interest in that. Uh, we are also waiting for the certification from the State Board of Elections for the uh, primary. So we know who the delegates are in all the presidential races. Unfortunately, there was a little hiccup with that today. Um, this, maybe we'll talk with our guest about that as well. Um, the Republican uh, State Commissioner, Peter Kaczynski, uh, has, de has declared he will not show up at any state board meetings until uh, his counterpart is also nominated. The, the state board has been operating with one less Republican for the last several months, and uh, there should be two Republicans and two Democrats. I actually agree with Mr. Kaczynski on this. Um, there should be an appointment uh, and, and, uh, because we need a full state board uh, to run our elections, but that is delaying some of our results from our primary, uh, as well as the count that is continuing to happen in New York City. However, in Onondaga County, we have certified our election and we are moving on to the general election. Um, and uh, last week, there was a host of legislation done um, that has made uh, the process for voting easier here in New York State. You can have absentees. Um, uh, our, as, long, as soon as the governor signs these bills, not only will we be able to send out absentees earlier to people, but uh, they can use COVID-19 as an excuse under the temporary illness clause to get your absentee ballot. So if you uh, do not want to show up at the polls, uh, you can vote by absentee in New York. That was passed by the New York State Legislature. And also automatic voter registration, a big uh, thing that will happen in the future um, in New York got passed. Uh, check out my debate with uh, my friend Jude Seymour on Capitol Press Room about ABR, and we will talk about it with Sean morales Doyle too, because uh, the Brennan Center was helped author the bill and a big pusher for ABR. In fact, that's how I found out about ABR 10 years ago, uh, you know, in, uh, in, well, not 10 years ago, 2014, I think it was, um, when Oregon passed it, and uh, I went to several uh Brennan Center conferences about ABR, one in New York City, one in Boston, 
uh, to learn about that. And uh, I've been a fan of ABR, and I'm so happy that New York has finally become an ABR state. And uh, we'll go through that with our guests too. So you know what? That leads us. Let's let's talk to our friend Sean Morales Doyle of the Brennan Center. Uh, he is again the deputy director of uh, litigation and voting rights uh, litigation for uh, the Brennan Center of Law. Uh, Sean, welcome to Zoomwins Army. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Uh, Sean, why don't you give uh, everyone a little background on what the Brennan Center is and what you do and why you're such an uh, incredible asset to the voting community. Why? Well, uh, yeah, you can say that. The, uh, uh, the Brennan Center is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization. Uh, we're affiliated with the NYU School of Law. Um, we uh, are, a, a, I sort of think of us as being an advocacy organization that works in a, a few different ways. We're a think tank. We do research and developing new policies um, in the areas of improving and defending our systems of democracy and justice uh, here in the United States. Um, then we are uh, an advocacy organization that tries to get those new policies that we've helped uh, research and develop passed into law and adopted by um, governments around the country. Um, then we are also sort of a public interest law firm. We will litigate when necessary to, de to defend those policies and to push back against bad policy that we see. And lastly, we're communications hub, um, do a lot of work to try to do public education and get the word out uh, about all these, um, these, these democratic and, and criminal justice and liberty national security reforms that we're, we think are so important. Well, uh, Sean, I, thank you uh, for all of that. And thank you. I, I do, I am a little bit of a Brennan Center scans. Uh, I've been a fan of the Brennan Center since before I became commissioner. Uh, it was my go-to uh, to debate uh, against voter ID laws and got me uh, um, really interested in election law. Uh, and so it's, uh, it, you're kind of responsible for me. I don't know if you want to take that kind of responsibility, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I, I really enjoy all the information. And if you haven't gone to the Brennan Center's website, do so. There's so much information there. Um, but one of the things that the Brennan Center did uh, was be an early adopter of uh, promoting automatic voter registration. And, uh, and, and that started in Oregon in 2014, I believe, is that 2015, right? I think, 2015. So, uh, and, and uh, so this is a brand new voting reform that has now, now New York has joined as the 17th state uh, as soon as Governor Cuomo signs the bill um, that has adopted automatic voter registration. Why don't you tell us about what that is and what it means for New York. Voter registration is, as a, um, is a, in some ways, a very simple change to the way voter registration works um, at state agencies like the DMV and others, um, but one which has a, proven to have a profound impact on voter registration in all the states that have adopted it. Um, what it does is it changes two things. One is it puts an end to the days of snail mail sending voter registrations from state agencies to elections officials like yourself uh, through the mail and on paper forms and switches to a system of electronic transfer. So if I go to the DMV or some other agency and get registered to vote, um, my information will just be transferred electronically over boards of elections, which really streamlines the process, uh, eliminates errors, makes things work the way they should in the 21st century. Uh, the second thing that it does is it switches from an opt-in system to an opt-out system and so right now, as folks probably know, you go to the DMV and you um, are asked, would you like to register to vote? Or you go, you go to any number of other agencies um, and you're asked, would you like to register to vote? Um, that's a product of the Motor Voter Law, the National Voter Registration Act of 1993. What the switch to opt-out means is that now if I go to the DMV or to any number of other agencies in the New York bill, um, I'm asked, I'm told, we're going to use information that you're given, giving us today in your application for services here and register you to vote unless you tell us not to. You can opt out if you want to, but otherwise we're using it. And that little subtle switch plays on the way human psychology works. You know, we go with the flow, we tend to take the default option, and it gets people registered at much higher rates. Um, every state that's, that's put ABR into effect has seen a dramatic increase in voter registration as a result of that change. 
So, you know, one, in my debate with uh, uh, Jude and, and with well-meaning uh, opponents of the law, one of the, you know, one of the arguments they make is that this is going to increase costs because there are more people registered. And these people that are registered are not necessarily likely voters. So why should we go through this expense? Have we seen an increase in voter turnout in the states that uh, have had uh, ABR, or is it just adding people who normally wouldn't be added? Um, it's hard to draw a direct line to, to voter turnout as of yet, though we continue to research that. But yes, in the right from the very beginning in Oregon, when ABR went into effect, we saw increases in Oregon that were above what we saw in other states um, in the elections following Oregon's um uh enactment of avr so um that is a good sign and we think we'll, we'll continue to see good signs as we research it as, as you noted though it was first passed in oregon in 2015 it's only come online relatively recently in most places that have enacted it so we have limited data but we're looking at it but what i'll also say is there's um you know lots of data that shows that one of the things that prevents a lot of uh, would-be voters from voting are problems with registration. They've moved and they haven't updated their registration. Um, they, they didn't register on time. Two things which have in the past been particular burdens in, or, or hurdles in New York. Um, and so, you know, you have, especially in an election like this one, I think we're gonna see a lot of newly engaged, newly active um, people who, who are, you know, getting involved in politics and getting interested in elections for the first time. And those are exactly the kinds of voters that when they show up to vote sometimes um, there's an issue with registration or they don't realize they need to register in time. They're just getting involved late in the game. And this will eliminate that burden. But I'll also say that in response to the point you made, there's a lot of ways in which AVR streamlines and makes our voter registration systems more efficient. And so whatever increased costs we might see from additional registrants, I mean, first of all, I think we should be celebrating additional registrants, whether or not it costs a little bit more to have them on the rolls. But I think they'll also be balanced out by some of the efficiencies that we recognize as a result of ABR. And some of the maybe not so good arguments that have come out about uh, ABR, uh, I think it's always important to address these things because they're like wounds that fester, you know? Uh, and, uh, uh, I, and this did not come from Jude. In fact, Jude was great uh, and, and uh, uh, did, you know, said that this was not a worry of his, but even uh, I had a local uh, Senate candidate um, the New York State Senate candidate uh, talk about how the green light law was going to lead to a flood of uh, uh, illegal uh, uh, aliens or unregistered citizens. And this was a plot by the Democrats to, to flood the New York voter rolls. Uh, how do you respond to that? Well, of course, it's absurd to suggest that anyone is intentionally trying to get non citizens um, registered to vote, folks who, um, you know, there are, uh, th there's no good reason to do that. It would cause harm to the non-citizens um, as much as to our elections. Um, it is a, it's a crime to register and to vote when you're ineligible in New York and across the country. And um, it can lead to deportation and has on occasion for people who are, who are accidentally registered to vote even. Um, no one wants that. And uh, the green light law, which expanded driver's licenses, allowed um, even undocumented folks to get driver's licenses, um, doesn't change two things which are really important to keep in mind. One, it doesn't change the fact that we register people um, to vote at the DMV. That's, that's been happening since at least the early 90s. And two, it doesn't change that non-citizens are able to get driver's licenses. That's always been the case in New York too. It does expand who can get driver's licenses, but the fact is our DMV and all of our state agencies have been um, navigating the fact that they serve non-citizens and offer voter registration for decades, and it, there hasn't been any problem um, like this. AVR doesn't change either of those things either. Um, but, but in fact, AVR and the bill that just passed the New York legislature um, contains a number of provisions and protections that actually make it less likely that people are going to get inadvertently registered to vote or that non-citizens might end up in the rolls because of these protections, people will get all kinds of warnings to prevent that from happening. Um, and, and there are provisions that allow state agencies to filter people out in a way that weren't, those filters didn't exist before. 
think it's in all of our best interest to protect non-citizens from some kind of inadvertent registration. Um, and there's no reason to think APR is gonna cause um, these problems. I will say, because it switches from an opt-in to an opt-out system, we do have to be really careful about ensuring that non-citizens know what they're facing when they get to these agencies, that they know that they're going to be registered unless they opt out. But we've addressed that in this bill. We've given all the protections that we think are necessary in order to protect those non-citizens. And we've not seen any problem with an increase in non-citizens um, getting registered in other states as a result of this opt-out procedure because it is designed carefully to protect against that. So one thing that I think is under, under uh, uh, is, has not been talked about as much uh, with, with ABR is everybody talks about new registrants and, 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 and new, uh, um, you know, new voters. But really, ABR is a way to keep current voters at their, at their address. So how, uh, you know, how is that information going to be kept and how is it going to be updated uh, with the boards of elections? How do you envision that happening? Um, yeah, AVR, as you say, it, it, it doesn't just say that if I come to the DMV or to the Department of Labor or to the Department of Health or all these different agencies, um, that if I'm unregistered, they'll say, we'll, we'll use your information to register you unless you opt out. It also says that if I am registered and I go and interact with those, any of those agencies, they're going to use the information I give them to update my registration. Uh, if I change my address, they'll update that. If I change my name, they'll update that. Um, and so it ensures, and then they send that information along to the boards of elections. So it ensures that my voter registration is updated every time I interact with the government in any one of these ways. Um, and it, it protects against the fact that I might show up uh, at a new place when I've registered, when I've moved across the state and my registration won't show up. Of course, we also now have voter registration portability in New York. So hopefully that won't be a, a barrier to voting anyway, but now we reduce um, even what's required in that situation because my, my registration just moves automatically with me and stays up to date with all of my changes. And uh, you know, that turnaround time on that should be pretty much consistent with what we already see with these state agencies. Hopefully with the New York state agencies that are not DMV a little bit better because yeah. we're pairing it with an online voter registration. Yes that will be the engine that drives AVR. Yes, the DMV already transfers registrations electronically to the boards of elections, but the other agencies that are included in this bill don't always do that. And so now we will see um, those agencies with the online voter registration system, as I said earlier, transferring those registrations electronically over to the boards, which uh, can happen very quickly. And so we'll, we'll keep those voter rolls up to date um, without as much effort by folks like yourself and voters themselves, um, it'll, it'll just happen automatically. And we're here with uh, Sean Morales-Doyle of the Brennan Center uh, for Law, uh, and uh, we're talking about voting in New York, and we just got, kind of, just got done talking about ADR, so I'm gonna switch it up a little bit. Let's go down to Florida, uh, because sure. I think uh, this is a high-profile case that the Brennan Center has been involved with. I actually have ties to Florida. I, I lived in Florida for five years. My daughter lives in Tampa. My mother lived there for 20 years. So, um, and it's where I got my political start. Uh, so uh, I, I follow Florida, uh, not just because there always seems to be the tipping point state in the election, but because I, I have ties there. And the felon disenfranchisement, uh, uh, voter initiative that 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 passed several years ago uh, has had a long winding road through the courts and you have been at the center of this so why don't you kind of give us a an idea of what's happened and what's coming up yeah so um, this is th this issue of criminal disenfranchisement and criminal disenfranchisement in Florida in particular has been some, a focus of the Brennan Center for Justice almost since our um, very beginning, since, since uh, our founding. Um, Florida, uh, you know, most states, all but two states in the country, disenfranchise people with felony convictions in their past for at least some period of time. In many states, it's only while they're in prison. Um, in some states, it extends beyond that. Florida, up until 2018, was an extreme outlier on this issue. Uh, the worst of the worst. They permanently barred everybody with a felony conviction from voting for the rest of their life. 
unless um, an executive board of clemency, basically the governor and his cabinet, individually restored voting rights to folks. And for a long time, the governor um, was really doing that very rarely. There was a long backlog of applications. So um, Florida was only one of only three states at the time in 2018 that did that. Now there's only one left, which is Iowa. Um, and because of Florida's size and because of the way its criminal justice system worked and because of the history there, uh, Florida accounted for over a quarter of all of the people disenfranchised across the country as a result of this policy. 1.7 million people in Florida were estimated to be disenfranchised as a result of this. A tenth of the adult population, one out of every five black adults. Um, and, that, and that's the other part of this is that there is not only a, an incredibly disparate racial impact of these felony disenfranchisement policies, but in Florida and elsewhere, there's a long history um, that demonstrate these policies really exist in order to disenfranchise black voters. They always have. That's why they went on the books in the first place 150 years ago. Um, the Brennan Center was involved in early uh, courtroom challenges to that policy and in all kinds of efforts to get governors to do better over the last couple of decades. And then there was this huge breakthrough in 2018. Um, there was a, a ballot initiative that went on the, the ballot called Amendment 4, received over 800,000 signatures in order to get on the ballot. Um, then once it was on the ballot, it had to get 60% of the vote to pass. Um, and I, I remember seeing a tweet, and I can't attribute it, but right after it did pass in 2018, someone saying, uh, in Florida, you'd, uh, you had an election between an ice cream cone and a kick in the head, and it would split 50.1 to 49.9%. So getting 60% of the vote in Florida is huge. It meant there was amazing bipartisan support for this. More than a million people voted for Amendment 4, more than any statewide candidate for office in Florida. A million people more than who voted for the governor. Um, then, a few months later, the legislature passed a law that said that in order for folks to get their voting rights back, Amendment 4 required completion of all terms of sentence. And what Senate Bill 7066 said was, um, you don't get your voting rights back until you've paid off all of your legal financial obligations, your fines, your fees, your restitution. And Florida has a criminal justice system that just heaps debt on people. And so that, what that meant and what we've, the evidence now has shown in our case is that at least three quarters of a million people were um, disenfranchised by that, that law, Senate Bill 7066, because the vast majority of people who have a felony conviction in Florida owe money. And in fact, the overwhelming majority of those people owe money they can't afford to pay. And so in some respects, it just continues this, this lifetime disenfranchisement that Florida's voters so overwhelmingly rejected. Uh, we sued the Brennan Center for Justice, the ACLU, the ACLU of Florida, the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund. We all came together and we sued on behalf of some individual voters, on behalf of the legal women voters of Florida and the NAACP of Florida. And we challenged this law under the U.S. Constitution and we won. Uh, we won once back in last fall, got a preliminary injunction, uh, a partial preliminary injunction in the case. That was upheld by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals in February. Then we had a trial, a video trial uh, like this in late April and May, and we won again. Um, and the court said, you can't deny someone the right to vote for failing to pay something they can't afford. That violates equal protection clause. It's wealth discrimination. You can't deny someone the right to vote for failing to pay their taxes under the 24th Amendment. And these fees and costs are taxes. They're, they're really for rev revenue generation. Um, and you can't deny someone the right to vote for failing to pay something that they don't even know exists. And that was um, a big part of what we showed at the trials that Florida doesn't have a system for tracking what people owe. Um, no one can figure out what they owe. So you have a, a, voter, a system for voter eligibility where you can't tell whether you're eligible to vote or not, and neither can the state, which is just absurd. Um, and so the they court said that violates. What they owe? They can't. They, they can't tell. What they owe? So how do they? Oh, that's yeah. Me. So the court said that violates due process. Um, and then the court also struck down a voter registration form that the bill put into effect, which required people to identify themselves as um, having felony convictions and had other problems with it. The state appealed that ruling again, and this time the court stayed the decision, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals stayed the decision pending the appeal. So we're now going to have oral arguments on August 18th in front of the 
um, the entire en banc 11th circuit, so not just a three judge panel, but all the active judges, except for a couple who have recused themselves. Um, and we'll see what happens. Uh, obviously, I'm hopeful that our, our victory will um, be affirmed by the 11th circuit and we'll get these three quarters of a million people the right to vote back. Um, but in the meantime, there's a lot of uncertainty, and unfortunately, that's what we've had since Amendment 4 went on the books. So there's a lot of uncertainty for a whole lot of people in Florida who just don't even know whether they're eligible to vote um, or who are being denied um, their eligibility as a result of money that they can't afford to pay. So this, uh, uh, you talked about how you're about to go back into court, but, um, you know, before we, uh, uh, before we got on, um, you know, the line you were talking about, how, how there's a lot of misinformation about this case. There's a lot of people think that you went to the Supreme Court and they've denied it. But what they actually denied was the lifting of the stay. The, the court right. continues. So do you want to kind of yes. tell the lay person what that means? Yeah, so, you know, there's three levels of courts in the federal system. We won at the first level, the trial court level. Um, then we went up to the appellate court level because the state appealed. At that appellate court level, the court or didn't decide our case yet, but said, we're putting the district court's decision on hold until we've had a chance to rule on this. Um, and so we're, that's the, the state of affairs right now. In the meantime, we went up to the US Supreme Court and said, please lift this stay. There's an election coming up in Florida on August 18th. We're, we're getting close to another election in November. People need to know what the rules are. And the district court put in a good system that eliminated all this confusion so can you put, can you lift the stay while we're awaiting appeal? Um, and the Supreme Court denied that. Uh, we got a, a very powerful dissent from uh, three of the justices who made very clear the state of confusion that will continue as a result of this stay. Um, but it, all it is, is a refusal to lift the stay. So what that means is the case is still ongoing. It's still a live controversy. We can still win. Uh, we still have one, and that decision hasn't been overturned yet. Um, but until we get a decision from the 11th Circuit, nothing's going to be final. And so uh, we're waiting to see what happens. And we're, when we're talking about felon disenfranchisement, I think a lot of people uh, think of, of uh, people that are out on parole, they haven't served their sentences yet. I know that's been a, a discussion here in New York since the governor has issued clemency on people that are out on parole for mm -hmm. the, the purposes of, of voting. But in, the, in Florida, in Iowa, they, even if they've served their sentence, even if they've paid their debt to society uh, in terms of their prison sentence, they cannot uh, register to vote. And, and before this law could not do it for the entire life. And now uh, what you're saying is that the fines that no one can tell them how much they owe, but until they pay how much they don't know that they owe, uh, they can't get their voting rights back. That's the position. That's right. Um, the uh, Florida is one of a couple states that permanently disenfranchises um, a group of people within the state with felony convictions. In, in Florida, um, Amendment 4 was supposed to put an end to that for everyone except for someone convicted of murder or felony sexual offense. Um, but there are a, a close to a dozen states that do this for at least some group of people convicted of some certain crimes. Um, and there are many more states that do it while people are on probation or parole. Um, New York, as you mentioned, denies people the right to vote while on parole, not while on probation. The governor has been um, restoring voting rights to people on parole using his clemency power. We certainly hope that the New York legislature takes that up and codifies that. Um, but in Florida, for most of Florida's history, it's been a lifetime of disenfranchisement. And this, um, this law essentially ensures that that will continue for many, many, many Floridians who can't pay off these amounts or who can't figure out what they need to pay off or who are trying to pay off these amounts but 40% of their money is going to a collections agency rather than to the government, um, or who need to pay off these amounts um, and also need to pay off different amounts in order to get their driver's license back and then also need to keep a roof over their head and, and continue to eat. Um, Florida levies, you know, in, in a five-year period, a billion dollars worth of legal financial obligations, um, and, and they know the vast majority of those are going to go uncollected um, and the state 
has admitted as much. So um, it's really, it's a broken system of criminal justice. Um, and then it's a, a linking voting to that broken system. And it means, you know, I have clients like Pastor Clifford Tyson, you know, he was uh, convicted of a felony in 1978 um, when he was a young man, he was 19 years old, I believe. And he hasn't been able to vote since then. And he won't be able to vote um, uh, until we have a victory in this case um, and until the 11th Circuit decides to uphold that victory um, because he's, um, you know, in his 60s, he's disabled, he can't work. Um, he's a, a volunteer pastor, that's what he does. Um, and he can't afford to pay the, you know, thousand plus dollars that he owes when he has other things that he needs to um, pay for in his life. And we see these uh, great gestures of uh, giving, most notably by LeBron James. Uh, you know, I'm a Celtic fan, but I, I like what he does on the political side of things. And, you know, he's, he's investing millions from his foundation to pay off felons' uh, fines in Florida so they can get their right to vote. But as you said, they don't even know how to pay these off in many cases. So it's not just a matter of, you know, Jeff Bezos dropping into Florida and, and, and paying all this because there's a systemic problem with the Florida system. And, uh, and that, that's keeping a lot of people from voting. Yes, that's right. Um, I think it's great that um, folks like LeBron James, and, and I'm a, a Bulls fan being from Illinois, and I think I saw that Michael Jordan now is given some money too, so oh, I'll say. Um, but but uh, it's great that people that have the resources to do so are using that money to help people vote. Uh, I think that's really great. I do think it's a shame that that's coming in this fashion because this just isn't, it, it, there shouldn't be, you shouldn't have to pay to vote. You just shouldn't have to pay to vote. And it's nice that other people are paying for them, but that shouldn't have to happen. Um, but yes, as you say, like that will help some people, um, but there are others for whom either we can't figure out what they owe, and so it's hard to know what to pay. Um, and there are people who literally owe hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars. Um, you know, we have one of our clients in this case is, um, you know, was one piece of a one defendant in a large white collar criminal conspiracy case where every defendant in the whole case is jointly and severally liable for the amount that they have to pay. And they are charged to pay $57 million in restitution back. She's never going to pay that amount of money. And probably LeBron James and no one else is going to pay that amount of money for her. So um, it is, it, it, it's great that people are getting involved, but there's still, um, there's still going to be ongoing disenfranchisement as long as this law is on the books. Um, and I'm going to just ask one more question that we're going to ask uh, people who uh, might be on that, that if they have to talk, if they want a question from you to answer or follow up. But we're on with Sean Morales Doyle of the Brennan Center. And Sean, there was a couple of uh, tweets today from the President of the United States. The first one this morning and then the second one just a about 20 minutes before our call. And uh, the first one where the President of the United States claimed that if we can't ensure that we have an election without mail-in voting, that we should delay the election until it's safe. And then the second one, uh, about 15 minutes before, saying that only votes that are counted on election night should be the ones that we pay attention to. I hate that we have to have these discussions about these um, quite uh, quite honestly, uh, ignorant uh, claims about uh, our electoral system, but he has millions of followers on his Twitter account. He started this discussion about mail-in battling being fraudulent, which has led people in his party to also, you know, he's like the pie paper of misinformation when it comes to elections. How, what can you tell the public to assure them that not only can he not delay the election, but that mail-in balloting is safe? Yeah, so uh, the delay of the election is just, um, as you said, uh, ignorant, absurd. The president has no power to delay the election. He just doesn't have it. 
Um, the, the date of the election is set by Congress. It can only be changed by Congress. Uh, I have no expectation that Congress will be doing that. But even if Congress were somehow to do that, and they won't, um, the, there are constitutional limitations as well that neither of them can change. Um, the president has to vacate office by January 20th of 2021. Um, it doesn't matter whether there's even been a new president elected, he's out uh, by the constitution. Um, so in order for us to have a president uh, elected next year, we have to have an election. Um, but it's crazy to even get into all of that. And, and that's why Congress has the date that they've said, but it's crazy to get into all that anyway, because uh, the president just has zero zero authority over any of these questions. He can't change them. Um, and it's obviously damaging and terrible that he even raises it as a possibility, um, but it's not gonna happen. So people should rest assured that it's not gonna happen. Um, I, I think he's been immediately rebuked by many people, including people in his own party. And, um, and I hope folks listen to them. Um, on the vote by mail, uh, obviously this year, more than any in our past, um, vote by mail is an incredibly important option for people because of the ongoing pandemic. There are going to be many, many more people who want to take that option in order to vote safely, should take that option in order to vote safely. Um, but we've had vote by mail in this country for a long time in many, many states. New Yorkers are perhaps not as familiar with it as folks in other states because it's been such a, a limited system in New York State up until this year. But, you know, we have states that conduct universal vote by mail elections. Um, and it, it's a system that works. Uh, New York's not gonna be switching to that this year for a uh, good reason, because it's not prepared to switch to that this year. Um, but the fact is that um, vote by mail works. Um, it, it isn't rife with fraud the way the president claims it is. Um, and Democrats and Republicans agree on that. I think um, across the country, Republican officials as well as Democratic officials agree on that and have been urging um, people to vote by mail in this election and before. Um, candidates from both parties have urged people to take that option in this election and before. Um, and it's really important, you know, we all just saw this in New York, so we know it. It's really important for folks to know that with the increased emphasis and reliance on vote by mail, elections are going to look different this year. Uh, we're not going to have results the night of. Hopefully, we will have results. I, I will say for sure, we will have results in most parts of the country long before the amount of time that it's taken New York to give us results for this June primary. But, um, but it will take longer than it has in the past. And that is a sign that things are going well um, and according to plan and that everyone's vote is being counted and not a sign that anything is going wrong or that there's any kind of fraud. Um, and it's important to get the word out about that as far and wide as possible in order to push back against these ridiculous and false claims from the president and others, um, because people need to have confidence and faith in our elections. That's why democracy works. Um, and they should, they should have faith in a system that is largely vote by mail, and they should have faith in a system that takes longer than a couple hours uh, uh, to get results out of, um, because those are actually signs that things are working the way we plan them to work. Uh, I'm going to open it up to any of our people that are uh, tuned into the Zoom live to ask a question if you'd like to. Just uh, I'm going to unmute everybody if you'd like to ask a question. Uh, uh, you can unmute yourself and, uh, and ask a question. But if there's no one who wants to ask a question, uh, we did talk about the changes in New York and uh, how New Yorkers aren't used to voting by mail and voting by absentee, but now uh, some legislative changes have been made, some governor's executive orders have been made. Um, and what, uh, what do you see um, and how we did in the primary? Obviously, there's a lot of counting still going on in New York City, um, but you know, as an advocate, uh, I guess give us our report card. How, how did we do, what did we do well, what, what do we need to get better? Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of both. I think there's been some description of the New York election that would suggest that everything went wrong um, and, and some things went wrong, but everything didn't go wrong. Um, some of the delay, as I said, in, in counting and in certification of elections is a good sign. It is a sign that things are working the way they're supposed to. It is a sign that elections officials are making sure that every vote gets counted. Look, it is important as we switch to more and more voting by mail, 
that people are given as long as possible to get their ballots in before election day, right? We want people to be able to go and mail their ballots up until the last possible moment and have them counted. And if, if we do that, then we have to have a system where ballots that arrive after election day are still counted. And we have such a system in New York. It needs to be improved. And there have been changes to it even in the last, well, if the governor signs these bills, even in the last few days. But we, if we're accepting ballots, even after election day, as long as they were mailed in on time, then it's going to take longer to count them. Um, if we're making sure that people who have um, had to cast affidavit ballots because of some hurdle at the polls to them casting a, a traditional ballot, um, we need to give them, if we're going to give them chances to fix any problems after the fact to ensure their votes count, and we think that we should, it's going to take longer to count all the ballots. So the mere fact that New York took longer um, is not in and of itself a sign that things are going wrong. That said, uh, things took too long in New York. They took too long for a number of reasons. Uh, one of them is, is just that New York isn't yet prepared to, to um, by, by law or in practice, to host um, so much voting by mail. Um, New York has a system, unlike many states, where you can't even begin counting mail ballots until after election day. Um, and so that means in New York, really, that counting didn't even start until well after the election. Um, it's one thing to not be able to finish until after the election. It's another thing to not even be able to start. And that's a legal hurdle that hasn't been and, and likely won't be fixed before November. So it's, things are going to take longer in New York. Um, New York didn't have a good system for um, getting the mail out to voters and getting it back from voters in a way that was both reliable and that people could tell whether things came back on time. That hasn't been entirely fixed by the legislation. Um, it would be great for New York to use um, intelligent mail where we can track ballots going back and forth. It would be great for New York to recognize that ballots don't always get postmarked and still count them even if they're missing a postmark. Um, New York also didn't, didn't have a good system for letting people cure problems with affidavit ballots. Like I said, um, that has been improved by legislation last week. Um, hopefully that legislation will be signed by the governor because there shouldn't be minor errors of failure to sign, signing in the wrong place, that kind of thing, getting in the way of people having their ballots counted. Um, if, if people are given the opportunity to fix those problems, then they can fix them and everyone's vote can be counted. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think there are ways that New York can get better. Um, and I don't think it should take as long as it has. Um, but the mere fact that it took a while isn't the problem. And in fact, is something that, as I said, we should all be expecting in November and be okay with because it's the way things have to work if we want to have uh, reliable mail voting. So the postmark issue kind of got fixed with a little bit of legislation, not greatly, but it did make, there was a piece of legislation if the governor signs it, which we, uh, I think everybody believes everything that got passed last week, the governor is going to sign at some point. Um, but Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, right, knocking on wood. Uh, but um, uh, that, you know, if, if, uh, if there is no postmark on an absentee ballot and it is actually received by the boards of election the day after election day and time stamped in, they can now be, uh, they are now valid. And that is actually a practice that many boards across the state had already um, adopted on their county level. I did at my board along with my Republican uh, uh, co-commissioner, so that it's not controversial. But some boards, like the New York City Board or other boards, were more hyper-technical about these things and could not get agreement amongst the commissioners and do this. So this will solve some of that as well. But you, you kind of touched on the fact that we can't um, even start counting the ballots on election day and uh, until after election day. And I don't think people understand why that is. Yeah. Um, you know, and, 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 and they think, oh, well, we can just go change the law. But it's not as easy. It's the New York State Constitution. Yeah. Requires an excuse. And that constitution change is coming, hopefully. Uh, it's already been passed once by the legislature and should be passed next year that will remove the excuse portion. And then once that's done and the voters ratify it, then in 2022, we can actually pass vote by mail legislation that can be enacted. And it's frustrating that it takes so long. I'm, I'm an advocate that we should have a different amendment process to our constitution that takes so long to even get it before the voters. Um, you know, so a change like this, where we're in the middle of a pandemic, we can't be nimble 
and, and we're stuck with these antiquated laws. Um, but yeah, I mean, other states start counting their vote by mail as they come in. Yeah. But because we have an excuse in New York, we have to allow for the fact that they can show up on election day and vote, and then we have to pull their absentee ballot. And, and, and we, so we can't even open that envelope until well yeah. after election day. Yeah, I think the difference is in the presumption of whether or not someone's voting by in person or by mail. And so in states that uh, have more access to vote by mail than in New York, if I send in a request and say I want to vote by mail, um, the state, once they send me that ballot, they assume I'm voting by mail. Um, and they don't assume I'm going to show up on, on election day. And if I do show up on election day, then the presumption is it's my mail ballot that's going to count. And they'll have to go back and make sure that um, if I cast a vote in person, it's not going to count until they've verified that I didn't cast a, a ballot by mail. But in New York, that presumption is flipped. And so you can go and vote on election day and they're not going to count your absentee ballot until they verified you didn't vote on election day. So none of the ba mail balloting can get counted until after we've finished election day. Um, as you said, they, they pull the, the mail ballot to the side until after they've made sure no one voted on election day. So um, it, it really, you know, it makes sense when you understand uh, that presumption in New York law, why we wait um, to make sure that, you know, we're, we're only counting everyone's vote one time. Um, but it certainly leads to a delay that we don't see elsewhere. And it, I, I, it was frustrating to me as a New York voter. I'm sure it's frustrating to many others. So Mary Barnes put a question in the chat that I think is important because, uh, again, I think it's, uh, it's about perception. She said, how long did it take to get results when the old lever machines were used? And I don't think it's the problem with the new machines. It's a problem with the system of absentees. But do you yeah. want to kind of go into that a little bit or? Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know that I have a good sense of what the average turnaround with the lever machines was. But yeah, the new, the new machines can make counting happen very quickly. Um, scanning ballots happens very, very quickly. Um, and that is not where the delay is coming from. In fact, that surely um, sped things up. Uh, but the problem is that we're not even beginning to count uh, these absentee ballots until um, more than a week after the election. Um, and then, then there's a challenge process that also slows things down once the counting begins. It still should have, in my opinion, it still should have happened faster. It took way too long even after things began. But that delay is a big part of the problem. Um, and it's not one caused by the equipment. It's one caused by the process. Yeah, I mean, the, the lever machines, I, I hate the lever machines. <laughs> I, I, get the, I get that question a lot. Why don't we bring back the lever machines? Look, I grew up with them too. It was nice to hear the ka-chunk. But, uh, you know, I, I hope they're at the bottom of a lake somewhere. No, that would be environmentally unsound. But somewhere is nice and recycled as part of a TV cabinet somewhere. Because, uh, you know, not only did they, um, you know, there was inaccuracies because people would be phoning in results and then they'd be written down wrong and the audits would, would, would uh, change results. But, uh, uh, but also, we just didn't have the amount of you know, absentees that we do now. And they were HAVA, you know, they were not HAVA compliant. They, uh, we had problems with custodians that would set up the machines wrong and we'd have no way to see if the, you know, what, what the actual vote was. There's no paper trail. So those lever machines, we all grew yeah. up, with, but it's time to move I on. Think th I think the 2000 elections gave us a, a, a lot of reasons to not rely on those machines anymore, and the Help America Vote Act uh, changed that. But I do see um, uh, Ms. Bart's comment there, and I, and I thought she might be getting at that. And yes, I, I do think um, it is, we have gotten, her, her comment is people forget how long it used to take to get results, and I agree. I think that we have gotten to a point where people take for granted the idea that we can have results the night of um, and have kind of gotten spoiled with that. And um, it's not always been the case and it won't be the case this year. And, um, and we do need to keep that in mind. Um, it, it'll be frustrating. I'm sure we're all very excited to find out what the answer is. Um, but it, it is, again, it's just a sign that democracy is working correctly in 2020. So uh, we have to keep that in mind.
Yeah, we had a 45 minute delay in results last year because of uh, a technical issue. And you thought the they were banging on the door. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, they were banging on our door. People were showing up, media was showing up. They kept wanting to talk to me. I'm like, I need to fix the problem. Let me fix the problem. I'll get it up. And yeah, it, and it was a result of week after week of follow up news afterwards that this 45 minute delay. And so when we started talking about these uh, absentees and I was talking to the media, I kept telling them, you thought that 45 minute delay was bad. It's four weeks now. You know? Yeah, media has to be ready for this too. It's important that we educate voters. It's important that we keep it in mind ourselves, but it's also important not only that the media knows so they can educate voters now, and that's huge, but also so that their way they're covering results on election night and beyond is um, accurate and doesn't, you know, e even by failing to say something, um, they could play into the false rhetoric that we've heard from some quarters. So it's important that they are on top of this. I will say our local media here in Onondaga County, I'm not kissing up to them. They did a great job of getting that, uh, that message out there. And, uh, and, and they were very uh, patient in the result counts. Uh, so, uh, you know, we did not have the delays that New York City had, but uh, we were delayed and, and, uh, and we're gonna be delayed in November as well. Um, so we're getting close to the end of this, but I did wanna talk about what you think our future work is, because let's face it, advocates in New York, I, I used to say that, uh, uh, you know, electoral change in New York was a, like a glacial place. And then two years ago, the flight gates opened. And, yeah. uh, you, know, and uh, you know, in the last few years, we've added early voting, electronic poll books, uh, universal transfer of registrations, which is big. Most people don't understand how big that is. We yeah. now have an expanded version of absentees. Uh, we have automatic voter registration on the books. And uh, so what, what's next? What are the battles that we have to get ready for next year and the year beyond um, to that, that advocates should be looking to? Yeah, that's a great question. I will say, I agree. The, the last couple of years have been fantastic from an advocacy perspective. I think the, you know, Brennan Center, we're part of the Latin Europe Coalition and everyone in that coalition should be very proud of the work that we've done and, and the legislature has done to um, take New York out of the, uh, Stone Age in terms of the way elections work here. Um, as I'm not a native New Yorker. I moved to New York from Chicago and whatever people might think about uh, democracy in Chicago, I was shocked when I came to New York and saw how far behind the electoral system was here. But we've made a lot of progress, as you say. Hopefully, automatic voter registration will be signed by the governor soon and that will be, um, you know, one more step. I think you know, we talked a little bit about this today. I think one of the big things left on the table in New York is um, is codifying the fact that when you live in the community, you have the right to vote. Uh, people on parole should be able to vote. And it's great that the governor has been using his clemency power to, um, to take care of that, but that's not the best way to do this. It's not administratively ideal or efficient. It still leaves or conf leaves confusion and really the decision of who can vote and who can't shouldn't reside in the hands of just one person. Um, and so as a matter of substantive policy, I think New York should, um, and this really would be a time for New York to embrace the idea that all of our neighbors should be able to vote with us. Um, and so, and, and you know, we've seen a lot recently about, um, we've, we've seen a lot of, of um, of people upset about not feeling like they have a voice um, in, in our democracy and not feeling like they're heard for a very good reason. Um, part of that is that there really are people who don't have a voice, a formal voice, who can't cast a ballot. And so I think right now is, is a time to really think hard about that and for New York to take that step forward and, and join so many other states um, in letting people on parole vote. But in terms of the the dorky stuff like how the elections actually work, uh, which is a lot of what we've talked about today. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I think there are some some changes that started, as you said, the constitutional pro process began, but we still have work to do. Um, I think same day registration would be fantastic. Uh, we've seen progress on, on moving from the 25 day to the 10 day uh, limit, which is in the Constitution. But um, I, I think, especially with automatic voter registration on the books, same-day registration, um, it, it's always a good policy in my view, but 
it's easier for folks like yourselves to administer it um, when when we have automatic build registration on the books because hopefully AVR will sort of limit the peaks and valleys and smooth things out so we'll, we won't see this huge influx of registrations um, both before election day and then on election day and it'll just be a, a, a last resort for folks that aren't registered or had some problem with the registration when they show up. Um, I think we need to, um, and also it would be great to have a, a, a more expansive and functional vote by mail system in New York and that's also gonna take constitutional change. Um, I think that there are, uh, there are ways that um, New York's system um, could, I guess the, uh, I, I've lost my train of thought a little bit here, but, but the, um, I, I think that many of the changes that we've seen um, in these last couple of years are going to take time for New York to get them right and to figure out how they're going to work. Um, that includes automatic voter registration, which is still a few years off in terms of actually becoming effective. And there's a lot of work to be done to make sure that it's implemented correctly. Um, and we've seen some of the struggles in switching to more vote by mail. So I think there's, you know, fine tuning of many of these things, online voter registration coming online and that sort of thing, um, that we're just going to need to make sure, like we've, we've changed the policy uh, um, on the books, but we need to actually make sure that those things go into effect and work the way that we'd like them like them to. So that's where a lot of the work of advocates, I think, is going to be in the next couple of years is following up on these changes to the law to make sure that they become realities. And these are all things that most, uh, well, most Democratic commissioners uh, are in favor of in theory. I mean, we always are worried about funding. We, you know, we always talk about funding. Um, yeah, uh, but that's uh, fair. That's but, another thing that needs to happen is there needs to be better funding of New York's elections. Uh, and And hopefully, one thing that needs to happen really short term is that Congress needs to um, fund elections because in the midst of this pandemic, not just New York, states across the country need a lot more resources to make elections happen the way they need to. And so hopefully in this upcoming stimulus bill, Congress will, will do that. One change I am watching uh, is Texas. Uh, it's surprising how uh, lowercase liberal uh, Texas elections can be in, in certain areas. When it, they, you know, they were the starter of early voting, and now that they're uh, in some counties, um, they are doing vote centers uh, mm -hmm. where on election day, not just, you know, early voting, you can show up to any, any poll place, but they're now starting to roll out vote centers on election day, and they're eliminating that you have to show up at a certain poll site. And uh, that's interesting to me. I, I see a lot of people who uh, show up at the wrong poll site, and they get frustrated and go home, or they fill out an affidavit, and it doesn't count. Uh, yeah. Vote centers could re resolve a lot of issues, and I would love to see if we can look at that over the next few years as well. I think that they'll be especially helpful in a in, during voting in a pandemic because voting in person requires, you know, PPE and changes in the layout, and um, and some places are doing curbside voting, and so having every single polling place offering all of those um, options and protections is going to be hard um, for some jurisdictions to pull off before November. And so some jurisdictions that have voting centers are gonna be able to rely on those as sort of a one-stop shop for handling all those problems. Um, I do think, you know, there are parts of New York, uh, including New York City, where I live, where you can't vote uh, at a voting center even during early voting. And that's something, this is what I mean about implementing the reforms we already have. I think early voting could improve, um, you know, I, I, when I lived in Chicago, I, I lived on the south side. I worked downtown. I um, uh, could vote early a block from my office, right? I didn't have to be in my neighborhood to vote. And that really was a great convenience and really helpful and made things easier. And it would be great if, with so many people in New York that don't work in the borough that they live in, et cetera. It'd be great um, to have that option. So I, I do think there are fine tuning and refining of the of the reforms that we've already passed um, could make things a lot better for folks. Sean, thank you very much for joining me today and spending some time. Uh, and, uh, and thank you for all the work you do on behalf of the voters of, well, New York, Florida, and the entire United States. Uh, and and, and the, the work Brennan Center does. You guys are a treasure. And please 
go to their website. There's a lot of stuff on there. I didn't even touch voter ID, uh, you know, uh, because um, if we don't have it in New York and we're never going to get it. Uh, you know, so I didn't want to even deal with that. But there's some great resources on there, especially uh, on uh, fighting back against the fraudulent claims. And thank you for all the work that you guys do and, uh, and that you personally have done. So thank, thank you. you. And thank you, Dustin. Thanks for hosting me today, inviting me. And, and thank you for the work you do to make our elections work. We at the Brennan Center like to think of ourselves as a back office for elections administrators, for the people that are really making the elections work. And so uh, we are forever grateful for the work that all of you and your colleagues do to make uh, to make our democracy actually function because it's harder than people realize <laughs> than it is. Yeah, we, we don't we don't only work one day uh, a year like uh, my right. when I got the job. So thank you again, and uh, for those of you listening, next week we will uh, we will again have our town hall series restart. In fact, in the entire month of August, our town halls with local candidates, uh, we have Senator Rachel May of the 53rd Senate District next week. Uh, and then uh, the week after that, John Mannion, candidate for New York Senate 50 uh, in Onondaga County. Uh, and then followed by family court judge uh, town halls with uh, uh, Julie Sirio and uh, Christy DeJoseph. Uh, and then uh, we'll be having more that we'll be announcing shortly. Uh, and But uh, stay tuned. And thank you again, Sean and the Brennan Center and all of you for tuning in. Uh, and, uh, and go out there, register some people to vote. Registration's down. Uh, we need more people registered and for our democracy to work. And uh, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me or go to our website in Onondaga County at onvote.net. Uh, it has all the resources you need. Uh, to properly uh, uh, interact with your democracy. So thank you again and see you next week. Bye-bye everyone.